Hello and welcome to Tomlin's Harmonica Podcast, where I'll be hanging out with players and teachers and having conversations loosely based around harmonica. As well as being a Grammy-nominated harmonica player, this week's guest is the world's most published author of blues harmonica lesson material. He runs a successful online harmonica school, as well as the world's first brick-and-mortar school for the study of blues. He is David Barrett. Welcome to the show, David. How are you doing today? Hi, Talman. Thanks for having me on, and I'm doing well. Thank you. How are I, you? I'm, I'm very well, thank you. I'm... Uh... Uh, this this sounds really bad to say. I don't know how it is for you, but I'm actually kind of enjoying quarantine. Uh, I feel that it it helps me to get really really focused. How, how's that going cool. for you? Um, I wouldn't say it's that much for us here. The challenge is we also have two little ones. We have an eight year old and eleven year old, and my wife Sharon is homeschooling them. And definitely, it has um, some challenges with scheduling. You know, she has essentially three jobs now. She helps me schedule my lessons for School of the Blues in San Jose, California. That's where I give private lessons, or it's where I gave <laughs> private <laughs> lessons. Now I do private lessons via Skype now from our home. And so she does that. She has her own job. She works in the high-tech world. She works for Juniper Networks. And now she has a third job, which is making sure two boys who don't want to be doing homework throughout the day, making sure they're doing homework throughout the day. And she's also a teacher because they're not really teaching. So I'd say the last since we got closed down, which is uh, close to three weeks ago, people talk a lot about during these times having extra time to do things. We definitely do not have any extra time. We're <laughs> probably twice as busy as we used to be. So I would say I look forward to being able to focus more once our schedule starts to, um, um, well, be more scheduled because right now it's from early morning to late night just to kind of get things done. But uh, I would say there's some positives. There's definitely more family time. The challenge, we like our schedules. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, um, I, I've been struggling with... Um all of my students have suddenly started practicing a lot more, which is great. Uh, <laughs> I am not complaining, but it also means that I'm, I'm getting a ton more recordings to give feedback on, uh, which is also fantastic. Um, but then also everyone wants more more harmonica content because they've got more free time. So I've got, got all these people sending me great ideas for new harmonica content to do. And I've started doing this podcast as well. Um, so I, I'm not having the, the super quiet uh, quarantine, but I, 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 I'm missing out on a, a daily walk and things like that. So that time has, has been appropriately spent on new projects like this. Um, well, that's yeah, cool. That yeah. works. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so um, you're based in California, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. We uh, are in San Jose, California. And for those who are not familiar with Silicon Valley, we're just about an hour south of San Francisco, depending on traffic, which is quite good right now. <laughs> are, are you allowed to, <laughs> to go to San Francisco at the moment? Um, we We wouldn't even think about it. We are... Mm -hmm self-quarantine we're quarantining we uh um we're trying to do our very best to uh, keep the family safe mm -hmm. and stop what's going on I, so the school is in san jose and i've only been to the school twice since it shut down but there's no there's no clients everything's all done via skype now so i've only gone there when i've needed to pick up equipment for 
my online teaching. I still also continue to do video recording for bluesharmonica.com. So the studio that I set up for Skype lessons also doubles for my studio for bluesharmonica.com. So when I have time to create new content like you're talking about, uh, I'm ready to roll with that too. So we're pretty self-sufficient here at the house. Mm -hmm. So, um, is it is it is it, is kind of my understanding that it's varying state by state what the uh, the rules are about quarantining? Is it quite relaxed in California, and you've kind of chosen to do it, or? Um, yeah, I would say relatively, it's relaxed. There's no police on the street. There's no people giving you scowls if you're driving down the road, but uh, it's pretty much just essential workers who are out. There's a lot of people taking walks all the time around mm -hmm. our neighborhood, which is great, but everyone's keeping their distance. And um, actually, people seem to have a pretty nice demeanor. People are very friendly and smile when you walk by. Um, we live in a really nice neighborhood. And so as it goes for getting some exercise when we have the time, uh, it's a nice area for that. As it goes for working, the main thing is, generally speaking, trying not to um, uh, trying not to gather with other people. So most people are staying one person to one office and the next person might be down the, down the way. And like, uh, my mother-in-law, she rarely sees the other coworker in the office. But for me, I'm just working with individual students. Uh, none of the instructors are teaching at the school. The school's officially closed. So, uh, not so much a, a deal for us, but all the high tech companies are closed, of course, because you get one building and there's thousands of people mm -hmm. in, uh, in a building. But to answer your question, I would say relatively relaxed because no one's really forcing you except the, the state is saying, this is what we want you to do. And, uh, I think generally speaking, people are doing a good job every now and again, you hear people who are not, uh, really self quarantining as well as they could because they're having contact with different people. So the, the social norm is making sure that you have your quarantine buddies and you don't really open that circle. Even my mother-in-law, when she comes down and brings us supplies every now and again, because toilet paper for some strange reason <laughs> is in short supply. She came bearing the gift of a big box of toilet paper. We, we even keep our distance, but have a nice conversation and poor Sharon, her birthday's coming up and we can't really go out for dinner or have a little party for her, so it'll have to wait. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not the best time for for things like birthdays. Um, we, we've had a, a slightly strange um, setup where we have been told to to stay inside and social distance, but but also we've been told to keep exercising, uh, which I think is super positive. But um, it, it's confused a lot of people, and a lot of people have been going out to um, sort of places of great outstanding natural beauty um, and I, I saw a news story that um, some of the police in, in England uh, followed a couple with a drone and filmed them walking uh, out in the countryside and then publicly shamed them on social media for taking a walk in the countryside um, oh, which wow. is a little bit nuts um, especially if there was no one else around but uh, I guess we, we, we don't That's really strange. know exactly what to do um, that's a good point. You know, something as we're talking about uh, what's going on with COVID-19, about having some focus time, it, it kind of reminds me, since we were talking about the boys a little while ago, about their homework and everything. Um, I think it's important for kids to have time to be bored. They're so busy with their schoolwork. And of course, they have electronic, electronic media to keep them busy 
at every moment. I've always been a fan that uh, that kids need to have um, their schedule needs to be not so impacted so that they have time to be bored because that's where creative moments come from. And I think for those who are out there uh, who do have the time to spend more time practicing, uh, that's obviously a good thing to be practicing, but to use this as an opportunity to kind of explore different areas of your playing and music that you normally wouldn't do because maybe you didn't have time. So for us creative folk out there, I think in, I'm thinking that uh, this is definitely a positive thing. If you find yourself getting a little bit bored, just think that this is a moment where uh, hmm, this is where creativity can come from. I wonder where this is going to take me. Well, that, that's what I'm noticing when I, I chat to, to most of my musician buddies, that everyone's woodshedding at the moment. Um, and, you know, if, if you hear that, that your, your musician buddies are woodshedding, then you think, oof, I, I need to be woodshedding as well, because I don't want to be the one person who hasn't made a big jump in the next six months. Um, <laughs> but I was chatting to, to Will Wilde about this uh, last week, and uh, he, he thinks we're all going to come out as uh, progressive jazz harmonica players <laughs> by the end of quarantine, which uh, may or may not be a good thing. <laughs> Um, so yeah, you, uh, you've recently made the move to, uh, to Skype lessons, which is something that I'm actually really excited about because you, you weren't doing Skype lessons. Um, how, how's that been going? It's been going surprisingly well. I've, I've resisted it because, uh, many years ago I did it once for a student who I have students that come in from all over within California and, uh, one student lives a couple hours north of the school and uh, he's a busy guy and says, do you mind if we do Skype today? I'm like, ah, well, okay. And I did it. I didn't really embrace the technology, just did it on my laptop. And I guess it worked fine. But the I've been fortunate through all these years of the school. The school's been open almost for 20 years. I've been teaching close to 30 years that I've always had plenty of private students to keep me busy. And it obviously works well and it's easy because you have someone right in front of you. And when COVID-19 started coming out, uh, I have one doctor student who was saying, actually just recently retired, say, he said, if, um, if it starts hitting the fan, I'm going to go ahead and hunker down and not take lessons. I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, I respect that and we'll start back up again after after things get better. Then another student has uh, some parents that are elderly in their mid-80s. He says, you know, if it was just me, obviously it's just you and me in a, in a teaching room. Um, I would be coming to lessons, but I want to help protect them. I'm like, okay, do you mind if we do Skype? So I'm thinking, yeah, we'll make it work, of course. These are um, different circumstances than the norm. And it became quickly evident, and this is about two weeks before our lockdown, that it would be smart to make this option available to all the students, just because I want to give them that option if they, a lot of the students really value their lessons, and I, of course, value working with them. Let's just give them the option. I, I actually was very surprised that the school had to close. I was, when I got, Sharon told me the news that, yeah, all non-essential businesses are closed, I was quite shocked. I never thought it would come mm -hmm. to this. And... But luckily, by that time, I'd already been doing a lot of research on how to do Skype effectively. And I spoke to you and other harmonica buddies who have been out there doing it for a long time. And I just asked for that wisdom of what works, what doesn't work. Uh, and it's not just from a, a technological aspect. It's like 
when you're connecting with the student, because obviously being a music teacher, it's more than just teaching techniques uh, and musicality. Um, it's an art. So there's things that you normally wouldn't do where you would be playing together. Um, there's the uh, um, all the elements that can happen in an in-person lesson. So once I kind of put that aside and said, okay, let me let me really embrace the technology and use the advice that you and others have given me. Um, I got the right equipment, <clears throat> got a couple cameras, one just the front-facing one, and then I also got one that is downward-facing so that as I write on a clipboard that I can, as I'm doing transcriptions for students, I would say that it, it's a fairly regular part of teaching that they will say, you know, this little Walter solo at one minute, 22 seconds, I'm not sure what he's doing, or can we transcribe this whole solo? I want to learn it. So I'll transcribe it as we're listening to it. I'll be showing it to them. So that allowed me to do one of the things I normally do in my live lessons. And I've pretty much been able to duplicate the same type of situation as the live lesson, minus us playing together. But of course, there is software and uh, websites where you can play together at the same time. So if I really feel that that's a, a, a strong negative, then I can always explore that. But so far, it hasn't been. So in short, I've been pleasantly surprised that it has worked very, very well. And some students, I told them, you know, this works quite well and you live far away. You're driving in an hour or two hours. I have a student, a couple students who fly in for lessons. Um, why don't we do the Skype thing? And some are going to continue doing Skype lessons. And what I'll simply do is when the school opens up again, I'll uh, get a better internet connection. The school was on the old antiquated DSL. But uh, through calling the phone company, I've learned that they now have fiber optics. So perfect. I'm going to go ahead and basically set up a little station in my teaching room. The front of the room, I'll be teaching private lessons in person. And then I'll just wheel my chair around and slide to the back and I'll have my Logitech cameras all set up plug in my cameras and uh, log in with the student. And I think that's a really cool thing. Um, some interesting benefits is that the students are learning their equipment better. I use a program called the Amazing Slowdowner. It's a very simple program. But to be fast and effective with it, I normally am the one controlling that in the private lesson, in-person lesson. Now they're having to do it, and I'm finding that students aren't as agile with that as I would like them to be, so we just share our screens. I'll share my screen and say, okay, here's how I do it, and then I have them do it, and we're forced because they can't play along to my jam track on my computer, of course, because we have that lag time, and uh, this forces them to get much quicker at using that program and other tools because they have to do it. I can't do it, so that's been kind of a cool thing. Um, so overall, I've been happy with it, minus the technical difficulties that, that you know raise their head every now and again. It's gone well. Part of the reason why I've been busy is twofold. One is uh, I've had to set up calls with each of my students. The initial goal was just 15 minutes. Let's just make sure we have a connection, or like 10 minutes. Let's make sure we have a connection and uh, everything looks good because we were all kind of afraid that with the impact of the internet right now, everyone telecommuting, that uh, it might not be very good. And actually, it has been good. But it's also turned into a lesson. So by the time we troubleshoot and I show them how to, I mostly use Skype, show them how to use the features in Skype and kind of how things will go, it's usually like a half hour phone call. I have 40 private students. So that's a lot of hours of time I've had to put on the computer just to kind of do what I was doing before. 
But the second thing that is the big benefit is uh, bluesharmonica.com has been around since uh, 2009. We opened in December of 2009. And I have very dedicated students on the website. And even though I have a lot of material on the website, uh, I think it's a little over 5,000 videos, and of course, MP3s and PDFs and all the stuff, interviews to, to keep them busy, um, of which we need to do an interview sometime, by the way, Tomlin, so I'm going to cool. have to get you on the camera. Um, there's a lot of material to keep them busy, but as you know, as a private teacher, there's nothing that can accelerate someone's study as much as having FaceTime, but also... Uh, you know, you can only, <clears throat> excuse me, you can only cover certain information. You, you know that you own your own website that you cannot, uh, you can't teach copywritten material. And even if I wanted to get the copyrights, the, or the print rights is actually more specific. Like if I wanted to cover a little Walter song, well, Hal Leonard Corporation owns the print rights to that Hal Leonard song and they won't license it. Many times I've gone to Mel Bay, my publisher, and said, I want to do a transcription book. And um, they said, sorry, we can't. Hal Leonard owns that. And they have a policy of not licensing that material. So even if I wanted to do a book on the Walter, which I have a lot of good transcriptions of it, um, that um, I couldn't. And the nice thing about reaching out, this is what I've been doing, is I've been reaching out to my bluesharmonica.com students that I've built relationships with over the years that are dedicated students who've gone quite far in my levels of achievement program. And I might say, hey, Frank, you know, you've been working quite hard and I'm enjoying our studies together via email and, and through audio recordings. Uh, what do you think about doing some private lessons via Skype? Now, I don't have an infinite number of teaching slots, so Sharon needs to schedule them in. And of course, we work with their time schedule because you know, Skype allows people to be all around the world. But that is pretty cool to be able to work with some students that I've worked with in some cases for more than 10 years and be able to work with them mano a mano and teach them stuff outside of everything that I've written. I try to write good material, material that keeps them excited and, of course, uh, pulls them forward in their uh, in their skill set, which I feel it successfully does. But it's sure neat to cover a little Walter song or a big Walter song or to spend some time and say, hey, you know, this concept, I feel like you've got a pretty good handle on this concept, but let's improvise with this a little bit. Let's just say we went up to a jam session and they say, why don't you lead a song and you're going to play an instrumental, basically. How are you going to keep my interest for three minutes? Here's some tools on how we can do it. And then they do it. And then I give some comments. They do it again, give some comments. And uh, it really helps to round out their their education even though I feel bluesharmonica.com is very effective in a lot of different ways because of the wonderful medium of online learning, videos, PDFs, MP3s, nothing can take the place of just the creative moment of a student you know, and a teacher working together. So all of that verbose moments to say that Skype lessons are going well and uh, that the uh, uh, it's cool to be able to offer lessons to students that uh, – I think will benefit from it and, and also students that I've built relationships with through the years. Excellent. No, that's, that's great to hear. And um, I mean, I've, I've, I've worked through stuff on bluesharmonica.com and it is fantastically well put together and very engaging. And I think you've, you've gotten over that issue of copyrighted material really effectively because you've written uh, study pieces that are, are still very fun uh, and engaging 
but the, th the thing I find really uh, kind of heartening and interesting is that although a lot of people kind of assumed that when online education started that it would be the end of the in-person lesson and all of these music teachers would be out of work, actually it's it's kind of gone the opposite way, I, I feel. Um, like certainly with, with my students, the online elements enable them to really go deep on things that we might have to repeat over and over and over and waste time in a lesson. Um, they can do that on their own schedule and they can rewind my video and watch it, you know, a hundred times over that two minute segment so that when the actual interaction happens, that we can really kind of dial in what needs to be worked on rather than having to repeat one thing over and over and over. So there's mm -hmm. definitely still space for the in-person lesson. I think using the technology as an additive thing is is brilliant. Um, and I, I don't I don't think we're ever going to uh, not want the in-person lessons and events. You know, kind of big big workshops and stuff. Which I know that you do um, a lot of that kind of thing. Uh, have you had to? Have you had any upcoming events that have been cancelled? recently you know i have pulled back on the workshops through the years that was something that was a big thing for me uh, long ago in 1994 was the first harmonica masterclass workshop i was teaching private students um, for quite a few years before that I had already released i think two books through mel bay publications my first book building harmonica technique and then classic chicago blues harp and I remember um, someone mentioning that they were watching a violin recital. They went to a violin recital. And as the students were bowing, that all the students were bowing exactly the same. And they looked at the music teacher and it was exactly the way the music teacher was bowing, that they were commenting how the teacher was creating a whole bunch of little clones. And I thought that was kind of an interesting comment, but it kind of grabbed me as like, okay, am I creating a whole bunch of Dave Barrett clones? That's not really my goal. Uh, I have my own sound. I have my own style. And of course, it's very important to be studying as many styles as possible. One of the, one of the things that harmonica players will say is, I want to have my own sound. I want to have my own style. And some players, to their detriment, will not allow those influences to come in. I've come across students saying that I don't want to copy X and X artist note for note because I want to have my own sound. And the problem is they, they don't sound very good because they don't steep themselves in the language of the music, especially if they call themselves a blank harmonica player, if they call themselves a blues harmonica player, language has a blues. There's an idiom. You need to learn the licks, the phrasing, that language, those licks that they learn uh, is extremely important. And that's what makes that player interesting to listen to and, again, work within that style to call themselves a blues harmonic player. So you end up getting a player that sounds weird. And you don't have to worry about that because if you study enough players, you get influences from many people and then your own uh, way your mind thinks and your own experience will eventually, over time, turn into uh, its own style. Um I kind of lost my train of thought here for a moment. Where do we start before so that? So we, we were talking about we were talking about doing uh, in-person <laughs> workshops and uh, oh yeah, thank and, you. Cool, thank <laughs> you for bringing me back in. <laughs> um, 
uh, anyways, going back to the workshops, the, the violin students, I was thinking, you know, we have, uh, we have in the Bay Area some of the greatest blues harmonic players around. Andy Just, Gary Smith, um, Rod Piazza's further south than us. We have Rick Estrin up in uh, Northern California, Charlie Musselwhite also uh, Northern California. Um, uh, at that time, little John Chrisley, young harmonica player. Uh, Lee Oscar in the Los Angeles area. I believe he's now in Washington. And th I figured these are all fantastic players. Why don't I give my students the opportunity? This is, of course, way before YouTube was around. Give my students the opportunity to be influenced by these people. And I did my first workshop. There was no advertising except a little a smaller than a business card advertisement in one of the local papers. And it was the very beginning of the Internet and a couple people posted on a server. <laughs> I don't even know what you called it back then, but it, you, uh, 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 it was not common, just to put it that uh -huh. way. We got 84 participants. I remember that number because I was just shocked that where the heck are all these harmonica players coming from? We didn't know there were so many harmonica players out there. We all assumed we were the best harmonica player in our town because we thought we were the only harmonica player in our town. And as each year would go on doing these workshops, I would find more and more just phenomenal harmonica players just right around the corner from me or the next city. Like, where'd you come from? Why haven't we heard about each other? That's what the internet did, of course, is it brought everybody together. So people were hungry back then for, uh, uh, for anything they can get their hands on because books were just starting to be published. My books were the first books to actually teach techniques that the blues harmonica players use, like slaps and poles and uh, bending was never defined. Actually, what physically happens on the harmonica that you're tuning your mouth to the pitch that you're trying to create on the harmonica. And that was an exciting time because I was spending uh, basically every moment in the day trying to figure out what was going on in my mouth and the mouths of other harmonica players. So it was exciting to me and the students and people are flying in from all around the world. Long story short, over the years, <clears throat> the workshops got larger and larger. I started flying people, instructors, which were really artists. There weren't many artists who were teachers. As you know, there's a, there's a difference between a great player and someone who's a great communicator, and sometimes you would find them. Uh, but the star power was fun enough, and everybody has something to share, whether they're articulate at speaking about a specific technique and what happens in your mouth to make it happen, or they're talking about general ideas, like Magic Dick, for example. Uh, the first workshop he ever gave was for my masterclass workshop in San Jose, and he talked about breathing, talked about for an hour, just breathing through the harmonic and also bringing for vo uh, breathing for vocalists. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. Like, I want to learn how to do more stuff on the harmonica. But that was an important thing to him, and that's why he talked about it. So the workshops grew and grew, and I'd have about, on the larger workshops, around 250 people. And after a number of years, when we got into the 2000s, I wanted to be more of a college experience. I wanted some. I wanted to get deeper. Instead of just someone talking in a seminar format to the audience, of course, they could ask questions. And the star power is really cool because I always had a lot of very well-known harmonica players. <clears throat> I wanted students to be able to dig in deeper. So I trained a couple of my students, Kenya Pollard and David Light, to teach. And I spent an, a year with them. They were my better students anyways, but I spent a year with them 
uh, teaching them how to teach in the way that I wanted to teach and make sure that they were very, very strong in their fundamentals of what they were teaching. And then we went on the road. And for about six years, we went uh, all over the United States, usually doing four workshops a year, commonly California, somewhere in the New York area, usually in Texas, and then some small, uh, small concentration of harmonica players um, out there in the U.S., did a couple workshops outside the U.S., as the years went on, and especially as YouTube started coming around, players were less hungry. Uh, the information was becoming more available. By then, I'd already written probably 30 books. Now it's close to 70. And that information now is out there. The books, uh, YouTube. And as I started to get students who were what got me into online teaching, more was I started getting some students saying that, uh, for example, Adam Gussow was their teacher. I'm like, oh, cool. So you you live in the Missis you lived in the Mississippi area and you worked with him? No. I'm thinking, wait a minute. So you said he's your instructor, but you actually didn't work in. So I I, I would say, did you fly out and work with him? Because it wasn't uncommon during that time if you wanted to take lessons, you would fly out to somebody to work with them. And he says no. And um, so maybe you do online lessons. You guys do like a Skype thing. Uh, no, I just do the YouTube videos. <clears throat> like, wow, times are changing. You actually would call someone your teacher, even though you've had no physical contact, you've had nobody that you're actually um, uh, working with in person, and even you're not working uh, together online in a, in a Skype type of lesson. And I started hearing that more and more. And I'm like, okay, times are changing. This is, uh, this is interesting. And a lot of the influences I started hearing from players were not Little Walters and Big Walters and Rick Estrins and Mark Hummels. It was the instructors who were starting to teach on YouTube at that time, which first was Adam Gussow. And, um, and uh, I think Ronnie Schellest was one of the early ones as well, of course you. Um, I remember the funny thing was too, I had a conversation with Adam Gussow <clears throat> a long time ago. I was doing a workshop in New York and we had a conversation, and basically the gist of the conversation was, how do you teach blues harmonica? I'm like, well, what do you mean, how do you teach blues harmonica? You talk about techniques, you talk about concepts. And he was just enamored with the idea that you could take this instrument that you that you kind of absorb the music and, and the technique over time, that you could actually have a class and teach how to play blues harmonica. I remember thinking that was kind of an interesting conversation. And he wanted to come to the workshop in New York. I'm like, sure, come on down, be my guest. Uh, he didn't end up coming. Uh, at that time, he was a uh, uh, fantastic but obscure harmonica player, just one of the many harmonica players that were regional to their area that every now and again, someone would say, hey, did you hear, have you heard about this Adam Gussow guy with uh, Satan and Adam? And by that time, I remember getting a recording, but he was a very... Um, uh, obscure player. And the fact that uh, that he ended up being the main teacher that people would reference, I thought was quite amusing. What I love about Adam, and what I think is so cool about his videos, is that he had no, at that time, he had uh, no other purpose except just to share his music with other people. I thought that was pretty cool. And it's nice to see someone who uh, has this uh, approach of, I'm just going to share it with you. I'm not looking for financial gain because there was no financial gain at that time. Now it's, you know, YouTube obviously has become monetized. Um, and it was the best thing that he could have done for his career. 
So that was pretty fantastic as well. All this to say that as time has gone on, people have become less hungry and it's been difficult to get attendance in workshops. Um, uh, I agree. Your, your event was fantastic. I loved coming down to, um, to your workshop and spending time with your students. That was a lot of fun. It is great to see that there is still a place for that. From a financial standpoint, <clears throat> I know you do this for your living as well. As time goes on, you have to figure out what is the best use of my time. And for me, that's still private lessons. It's putting time into bluesharmonica.com. Those are the main things. And then I essentially volunteer my time. Spa, I go down and I'm part of Joe Felisco's teaching. So I uh, essentially volunteer my time for that. And then there's the Harmonica Masters workshop in Trossingen, Germany. And uh, that's a paid event, so I'm not volunteering my time. But I don't make money. I, I usually... I always lose money when I go to these events because I'm not actually sitting working with students when I'm doing that. But I feel it's very important to go out there and uh, work with the students who are at bluesharmonica.com or just anyone who's serious about it. Uh, even starting bluesharmonica.com uh, was a gamble because, again, you know, because you have a paid website, it was a gamble. Would people pay for instruction if it's available for free. And I totally get that. I've mm -hmm. done things, uh, developed skills like kayaking or woodworking, uh, recently woodworking, where I would watch a lot of YouTube videos. But I do get to a point, and a lot of people do get to a point, that they feel like they need instruction that is deeper and more well thought out. Um, it's people will pay. And I do, so I'm, I've subscribed to Fine Woodworking Magazine and their videos and things <laughs> for people who, who have been doing this all their life and think about what they're doing and how they go about it and try to be better at how they approach it. Um, and that's what we do as instructors is that we not only just share what we think something is, we know what it is because... Anything on bluesharmonica.com, so I've written close to 70 books at this point. I've been, for 10 years, writing for harmonicasessions.com as the editor and also wrote an article. Um, the Blues Review Magazine, I wrote a featured article for 10 years. And I've been teaching now for close to 30 years. Anything that goes on bluesharmonica.com comes from material that I've taught in some form or fashion for decades. And any piece of material, this is one of the wonderful things for you too, because I know you teach private lessons. I will not have somebody teach for me that does not teach a lot of private lessons, because that is in the trenches. That's when you find when material works or doesn't work. So when I develop material, I first sit down, I outline it, I really think about it, I'll write material. I don't go on the website and write it right away or, or record it right away for the students. <clears throat> I have about 40 students that work with me on a regular basis, and I'll take usually, well, as many students that is interested or is applicable for what I'm teaching, and I will take um, I will take that time, and their private lesson time, and I'll walk them through that material. I usually try to do at least half of my students, and we will spend uh, lesson after lesson until they're done with that material, and commonly that's, I'll try to work that material in with my students for about six months 
I get rid of things that aren't working. I modify things that need better explanation. I will rewrite exercises that are not as effective. And the great thing is I my presentation gets better and better and better. And I learn about the order that I teach things. And what makes a great instructor, too, is not only to uh, have material that they're teaching on a regular basis, so they really know that material, but also that they're good enough. Sometimes you see on YouTube players that are, are um, you know, well, what happens a lot is beginning method, a lot of beginning methods, a lot of beginning method books <clears throat> in some online instruction are taught by players who are probably intermediate in skill level. My main instructors for many years uh, when I was doing workshops on a regular basis was Joe Felisco and Dennis Grinling, obviously top players in the world of blues harmonica, uh, great educators, great thinkers. They dissect what they teach and they really know about the material that they're teaching and how to convey that. The big thing is they know where the student's going. There are such a high level. They have had all those been there, done that moments. So they not only know what they have that the lesser experienced player has, even though an intermediate player can be an effective beginning teacher, they might not be developing the right technique habits to prepare them when they become more advanced players. I'm not teaching all my students to someday be, someday be teachers and nor necessarily to be professional players unless they want to, of course. Um, it is... Um, important for us teachers to know where the student's going so that they're, what the, the seeds that you plant now will continue to grow and bear fruit through each year of their training. And it doesn't matter how long they, uh, how long they uh, study the instrument, that if they're in year 10 and they're really in their upper echelon levels, they're recording CDs, they're still using the material and concepts that you're teaching them. Mm. Yeah. So another, again, another another rant of am I teaching many workshops? The quick answer to my long rant was that uh, uh, no, I'm not teaching workshops as much because it's harder to get people in seats because they're less hungry, which is, that's a good thing. There's more information out there. That's wonderful. As teachers, we want that material to be out there. Most of my time is focused on private teaching or developing of material for bluesharmonica.com. Yeah, I think I think that's the... The, the crucial difference um, that, that people need to be aware of between what, what's kind of out there for free and, and what you get on a site like bluesharmonica.com is it, it's, it's the difference between, uh, well, certainly I know from, from my, my side of things, everything I put on YouTube now, and, and it, it pains me to admit this, but I, I kind of have to play this game, is stuff that's designed to do well on YouTube. And it's not the things that I know are really important for players to, to work on uh, simply because I know that no one is looking for that. And my, my hope is that if I can hook enough people in through my teaching style of the things that people are actually looking for, that they then come into my site or your site and they start working through the things. And then once they trust me and I say to them, look, there's this thing that you need to be working on that's really holding you back. You know, this, this is the secret source. It's not cool. It's not sexy, but it, it is it is the one thing that's going to make a huge difference in your playing. And because I've built up that trust with them, they, they mm -hmm. then follow the route. But I think it, it's really difficult 
um, to, to to really convince people of that on YouTube. And and YouTube is is now a marketing platform. Um, and that's that's something that I find incredibly frustrating when I I watch Ronnie's lessons on YouTube because Ronnie's lessons are unbelievably good and they they go really deep on concepts that that are incredibly important but people aren't looking for it enough for it to feature very highly in the youtube algorithm and and so it kind of gets lost unless you're actively searching for ronnie shellist's lessons um which is 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 a shame and that's something that i think uh everyone out there who's learning harmonica needs to remember that these are, you know, we're, we're YouTube harmonica players. There's a ton of harmonica players outside of that arena to interact with. There are local harmonica teachers in tons of places. And, and there are all the greats that you need to be listening to. Yeah, those are really good points you brought up. And I really like what you had to say about some of the hidden things to them. Uh, it's levels of awareness that a student needs to be aware of is when you're working with an instructor is they're show a good instructor they're showing you things that you might not be aware of how important it is and an instructor also will not teach you things that you're not ready for yet i tell students that's above your pay grade at the moment but we'll we'll go through it soon and it's uh if you are looking at YouTube, you're mostly looking at surface level things, which is fine if you're just looking for little tips here and there. But <clears throat> there's no one there regulating what you need to work on when, because of you as a player, this is what you need to focus on. Um, and there's so many things that are important to to learning that the student is completely unaware of or is not available on YouTube, like you said, because it's not the sexy thing. It's not the, it's not the technique that has a lot of wow because uh, it just sounds super cool right off the right off the bat. There's so many techniques, like dynamics, for example. It's kind of a boring concept, somewhat of a simple concept, but it's the most important technique you can learn on the harmonica, on any instrument, to convey emotion to the listener. So I spent, or even music theory, uh, I spent one year writing my music theory lessons. There's six music theory lessons with big PDFs. If you print them all out, you have a book. And as I'm spending a year of my time writing this material because I really needed to make sure to do it right, <clears throat> music theory, the understanding of music, is so challenging to teach a harmonica player because you always have to ask yourself the so what? Why do I need to know this? We don't need to know a lot as blues harmonica players. But what we do need to know, we really, really need to know well because it can really, really help us as a musician to make stronger musical decisions. And that's really what we're trying to do is not just play something. You could, a lot of people, a lot of players, even your local blues harmonica pro <clears throat> that's not an upper, upper echelon player, they'll just be stringing a whole bunch of cool licks together. Yeah, but will that lick sound cool over the four chord? Not really. Will it sound good over the five, four, one in bars nine, ten, and eleven? Not really. That's a common area of weakness for players. But if I show you what the notes are, all you got to learn is one harmonica. Memorize a C harmonica. Memorize the twelve bar blues, which you already have intuitively if you've been playing for a while. What are the notes in each of those three chords? If you know a C harmonica, the three chords in the key of G, for example if you're playing second position, which is our common position, 
there is so much you can do with that. And there's so much assurance you can have as well. How many times is folk music players, a tradition that is learned by ear, blues harmonica is a folk tradition. How many times have you wondered if this will work? We're, we're flying blind so much because we're just figuring this out on our own and we're experimenting, which is both fun and challenging. And it's part of what it is to learn. But I remember, especially my first 10 years of playing the harmonica, so many times I had no idea how to approach something. And I would have given anything to be able to have someone say, you know what, when the four chord comes, if you just hit a blow note, just start with a blow note and see where it takes you, you're going to match the band more. I'd be like, yeah, I want to match the band more. I don't know what to do when the four chord comes. I just, I know there's a four chord there, but I don't really know what that means to me as a player. When I was studying upright bass, uh, Stan Poplin in my area is a really respected blues, jazz, and classical player. He's kind of the one-call guy for any style. He was the bass player in the uh, Charles Ford Blues Band with Robin Ford and Mark Ford very early on. And then he moved off into a, a career in jazz and classical music. And the term he used all the time that I just loved is he would say, first he would he would say, hey, good job on X, Y, or Z. Um, at this point in the music, I think you should try this because it would be a stronger musical decision. I love that. It's just, okay, that's that's going to sound better. What I did sounded cool. It was valid. I thought it sounded good. But here's somebody who has, in his case, 50 years of musical experience saying, hey, this is a stronger musical decision. Cool. I want to make a stronger musical decision. It's going to sound better. I love that. I love that approach. And it takes a master instructor to... Um, you know, really have that that depth. And uh, as a teacher, working with someone in a private type setting, especially, uh, they know what you need to work on when. And sometimes it seems like a simple thing, but it, it stays around with you for a long time. Definitely. I, I mean, you, you are one of the most incredible teachers to watch doing it live. It's 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 kind of, it, it's a weird thing to think about, but, but anytime I get to sit in, uh, and and watch someone teach it's uh it, it's really interesting and it's also really entertaining and it leads to you taking notes but one one thing that i i, I want to ask you is it's how do you get people to um the stage where where they're ready to go that deep because the thing that i find is that most people have come to harmonica for a, a nice relaxing hobby which is brilliant it is a fantastic hobby and I struggle to get people past the the kind of early stages of um, you know all the, the fun stuff but then not really wanting to go deep into the uh, I'm doing air quotes but the hard stuff how, how do you how sure. do you get them there uh, I'll use uh, Quanjin and Mike Clampett <clears throat> his phrase I was fortunate enough to study martial arts with him for 11 years and then eventually teach for him and he has a teaching program where each instructor spends at least two years training with him before you ever work with one of his students. And the phrase is motivate, educate, inspire. And that is something that is a key for anybody who wants to be an effective educator. Motivate, educate, inspire. To me, it's the big thing is I'm excited about everything that I'm teaching because I use it. And if it's a concept I'm teaching or a technique I'm teaching, that technique I had to figure out on my own. 
I had some things that were taught to me by Gary Smith when I was 16. I was very fortunate to work with him. Um, <clears throat> but even then, it was kind of surface level. It was like, no, you got to put your tongue on the harmonica for that. Oh, cool. Or your tongue goes on and off like this. That was what I needed. That was the spark. And then I would explore it on my own. Later, as I began to teach and dig in deeper, I found out more about what was happening with the harmonica, the tongue, and uh, I could go deeper with my students. But my point is that I had to figure that out. There's an ownership of that. And as I figured that out more deeply and to be able to communicate it better, it just burns itself more into me as a player. And I appreciate it. I'm excited about it. When I'm teaching chorus forms, which is the way that great players phrase on the harmonica, I'm excited about that because I use that every single day. When I dig into a specific technique, I get excited about it because I know what it has meant to me as a player. Um, and I know what it's going to mean to them as a player. I think I have this kind of memory of all the students that I've taught a certain concept or technique to, and it kind of flashes to me as I'm teaching it what cool stuff that these other students have been able to do once they've put the time in and mastered that technique or concept. So <clears throat> I would say, number one, that part is fairly, I understand what you're saying. And yes, it is difficult to get someone motivated about something, especially if it's the hard stuff. But I think they really feed off of your excitement uh, when you're teaching it. So when I'm teaching it, I'm really engaged because I really am engaged. It's not me kind of giving myself a pep talk before I go on the camera. I really love the stuff because I use it as a player and it excites me <clears throat> as a teacher. It excites me to share this with people because I remember when I first started teaching that this information was not out there. Now, I wish I could have my first, everyone wishes they could have their first year students back because we didn't have our, our, uh, our crap together in our first years of teaching. Um, maybe if, uh, damaged some students because of things we thought were correct, but <laughs> we later find out like, Oh no, that wasn't the right way to do it. But, um, so motivate, educate, inspire. So motivate the student and the motivation comes from you being excited because you know, this is important stuff. Educate, know your stuff, you know, not surface level. Know know what's going on and, and the context of it. It's always smart, especially for teachers, to know if you're teaching a technique, don't just show them an example of you doing it. Show them an example of other players doing it. There was probably a good 10 years I wasn't using study songs with my students. I was only using transcriptions from great harmonica players. Uh, I started off with study songs, then I moved more to transcriptions, and then kind of went back more to study songs. Now I use them kind of half and half in my teaching. I always like to say, and here's an example of Little Walter doing it. Here's an example of George Harmonica Smith doing it. So they educate, motivate, educate, inspire. And I, I think the inspire and motivate kind of work together. The inspire part is now what can you do with this now that you know how to do it? And that would just be simply giving them exercises. Uh, I was working with a student yesterday, Eric, and he's a good player. He's a very strong player. <clears throat> he wants to be a session player. And I told him when we did our, our quick uh, Skype meeting about uh, uh, what we'll be doing in the lessons, I said, in your email, you said you want to be a session player. And that's a big deal. If you were to say, I did this for my own enjoyment, that's one thing. If you say, I want to play with a local blues band, okay, that's another thing. I want to be a touring pro. 
that's definitely another thing. And a session guy, wow, I'm going to have to really kick your butt. You're going to have to work hard. You have a lot of homework. He says, cool, bring it on. Uh, so his first homework assignment was, okay, what I want you to do is I'm going to give you a CD. This is a Monster Mike Welch CD. There's no harmonic player on it, but it's just begging to have harmonica on it. Uh, it's called Crying Hay for the listeners out there. Each song has cool, different hooks. There's a couple non-12 bar blues in there. There's bass line hooks, there's guitar hooks, there's keyboard hooks, there's different uh, approaches to accompaniment that you can take. You can just solo over the guitarist. Sorry, Monster Mike. Um, <laughs> and I said, what I want you to do is to kind of throw a dart on the wall and say, for this first song you're gonna do, throw the dart, shakes, okay? So you're gonna focus on shakes. The next song, throw the dart, octaves. Okay, this next song, you're going to have octaves be your focus. Throw the dart. Okay, this song, you're only going to play the first three holes in the harmonic of the whole song. And the idea for him is to list all the different possible ways that you can approach a song. And there's twofold. For him, it's more about, <clears throat> I don't want you to think in one song what you're going to do. I want you to think in four sets. You have four 50-minute sets. How are you going to not get old after three or four songs, because a lot of us just start lining those licks up. And especially if we want to impress people, we're going to have harmonica blabbermouth and just play everything we know in the first two or three songs. <clears throat> so I shared with them that it's more about what you don't play than what you play, because you want each song to not only have an identity, but you don't want to overuse everything that you can do on the harmonica. So his homework assignment basically was, okay, with the first song you're going to use shakes, you're going to use as many shakes as you can that you feel is musical. Keep in mind the listener generally wants more repetition than we're willing to give. We think that the listener's just going to think we're unimaginative by doing the same thing over and over. Well, we're not going to do the same thing over and over. There's going to be some variety. There's going to be some um, theme and variation going on. But we need to give them a theme. So not only by focusing on shakes becomes a unique element for that song, you help to add a unique element, something that is thematic for only that song. When you're focusing on shakes, you're not overusing the other techniques that you're using on the harmonica. So then the next song, <clears throat> he's using octaves. Again, he's focusing on octaves. He's adding a thematic element to his music for that song, very specifically that song, you add a theme for that song. So that song has more of an identity when he plays harp to it. And again, by focusing on octaves and having fun being creative within octaves, it sure makes that song more fun to play because you're working within quote unquote a limitation. Again, you're not overusing the other techniques and movements and licks that you may be doing if you didn't focus in. So the end result is you can play a four hour set and each song has an identity and you're not overusing your elements on the harmonica because you're focusing on one thing. <clears throat> so anyways, that's an example of motivate, motivate, educate, inspire. The inspire part is, yeah, I want to be able to play four hours and not sound like I'm just playing the same old crap over and over after the first couple of songs. But uh, anyways, there's just one example for you. I, I think that's a brilliant example for, for everyone listening, including myself. I, I kind of, I've just made notes about what I'm going to be working on uh, after we hang up today. I'm going to, I'm going to stick an album on <laughs> one technique per song. I think that's great. Um, listen, I'm, I'm really mindful of, of not taking up too much of your time. Um, and uh, before we do head off, um, 
is there anything that you're working on now that you want to to tell the listeners about or uh, yeah what, what should they check out that you're doing sure um there's always something that uh, is keeping my interest because one of the wonderful things, as you know, for having a website is you get to go deep. Something I told myself long ago when I started developing bluesharmonica.com, it was both daunting and uh, inspiring that I get to rewrite all of my material. By the time I started bluesharmonica.com, I'd already published a lot of works. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that's all Mel Bay stuff. And bluesharmonica.com is my thing. So I'm going to rework my entire approach to harmonica teaching. And I, I daunting though, inspiring because, okay, well, how would I do it differently now? So I, I rethought how I want to approach it. And I told myself, I, I made my little promise to myself that whatever I thought would be cool, even if it took a lot more work, do it and enjoy the process. So anytime I'm editing and I feel like, okay, it'll be good to have a visual here. Oh, that'll take like 45 minutes for this one little visual. Do it. That was my promise to myself. I'm not in a hurry because I've always been in my life. I'm, I'm excited to teach this new thing. Slow down. Once it's on the website, then I'm going to be off to the new thing. There's always going to be new things. Take my time, really think about it a lot, work it with my private students, make sure it's the best lesson I possibly possibly can put on the website. Um, and so um, when reworking the material or rethinking my approach to, to teaching, I always gave myself permission to slow down and really enjoy the process. So these lessons, I really like going deep into specific subjects. And now that the website's been on there for quite a few years, um, I... I'm starting to get to the material that I would say is not as important to most of the students, but for those that uh, feel it important for them, of course, it will be important for them and they'll enjoy it. <clears throat> so one of the series that I'm doing is ear training. And so what I'm working on right now, actually there's a couple things. There's ear training and artist studies. I've been contacting artists and saying, hey, like Joe Felisco has this uh, song called Louisiana Song. It's a really neat song, very simple melody, so students can play just the single note melody. He plays it using splits. So for someone who has learned how to play octaves and other splits in the harmonica, this is a good workout of playing a song. And he also uses where he's over three, four, or five holes. So my more advanced students, they have something to gain from that. Number one, it's just a fun song for them to play. Number two, it's a song they get to play from a professional artist. It's not a study song that has limitations on what I'm teaching because I want to challenge them but not make them hit their head on a brick wall. This is an actual artist song from a CD. So I work out a, a deal with the artist. I transcribe the song. We provide the song on the website, <clears throat> the transcription of it, and I walk them through it. And uh, I am releasing one per month. And either it's a current artist and I try to do new releases, which I think is kind of fun. Uh, but also I do artist studies where I will take like a, I have a, a little Walter artist study called Walter's Mood, for example, where I am uh, taking his actual licks, the first half of the song in second position. And I'm taking his licks and rearranging them to, in, to a jam track and writing an instrumental using his licks. And then the latter half is in third position. 
So I'm taking a lot of his coolest third position licks and I am putting it together in a really nice flow of phrasing. And the end result is an artist study because it actually is his licks, but it's a new composition. So that's kind of fun. The ear training part, one is just figuring out the key of the harmonica. And I have a lesson on the website, but it's pretty basic and pretty, you know, straight to the point. But I really like to dig deep and say there's a lot of there's different ways to approach it. You use the one you find is effective for you. And figuring out the key uh, is kind of a simple idea, but it's not easy because it is ear training. All the notes, if, if the song is, say, in the key of F, if I grab my C harmonic and use it as a pitch pipe, well, there's seven notes in a key. So seven notes are going to match. Which one matches the best is the key. So it can be challenging to figure that out because, hey, this note sounds good. It must be this. And you grab the appropriate harmonic play in the second position. And you're like, ah, that's not it. So anyways, there's an approach to it. Uh, the next lesson is how to figure out the position of a harmonica player playing in a song. So you figure out the key. Then I share the telltale elements of the three common positions, first, second, and third, and give them tools to confirm it. And then the next lesson, <clears throat> those lessons are done. I've been using those with my private students for about three months now. I'm going to use it for another three months before I release it on the site. Um, the third lesson is, and this one's probably going to be a while before it reaches the site, is transcribing. How do you transcribe for the harmonica? And it's not just like, not just for people who want to write standard music notation. It's for people who just want to be quicker at figuring out what a harmonica player is doing. Because that's what we do is we transcribe. Uh, usually you think about transcribe as writing something down. But the first level is just listening, intent listening on what somebody's doing. And you're transcribing it on the harmonica. In other words, you're just trying to figure out how to play it on the harmonica. There are tools, there's empirical tools that you can use. If you hear someone kind of give a little cough, it's a blow note. If you hear a little dip, a little bend into a note, it's a draw note. So there's some very simple binary things that say, okay, if it's a two note combination, it's probably three draw, four draw, or four draw, five draw. Three draw, four draw sounds really consonant. If I grab my A harmonica, where the four or five sounds more dissonant, more bluesy. So uh, I'm giving, I'm sharing tools on how to more quickly figure out what a harmonica player is playing or another instrument, which is more challenging. <clears throat> now that's whether you play it on the harmonica or if you write it using standard tab or you're writing it in music notation. Uh, I'll be sharing all those things. And I will probably uh, reach out to some of my harmonica buddies who are really good at this as well and have them do a lesson as well. I like to reach out to those who I feel are experts at certain subjects and say, hey, I'd like you to contribute to this. So after I record my lesson, I will reach out to some artists who have a lifetime worth of experience transcribing and that I know their material is accurate. There's a lot of transcriptions out there that aren't. Uh, so I will ask them, say, I would like you to also do a lesson within my lesson on your approach to transcribing, because you no doubt are gonna have some tips that'll help out the students. So I'd say those are the areas that are uh, exciting for me right now. And I really do enjoy going deep. And what I will be doing for these lessons, like in my AMP lessons, uh, I like to have two lessons. One, what you need to know. In other words, 
I have a, I, I sometimes can be a little verbose, as you've already found out in this interview. <laughs> so I like, <laughs> and I've always thought it's better to be that way because it's a repository of information. You could skip past stuff if you want. You know, you've got a control on your video window. <clears throat> but also, this is a, maybe for the lack of a better term, a legacy thing. If I'm going to teach a lesson on it, I want to be complete and really go into a lot of detail. Uh, you could go back, like you said, and rewind and uh, and and re-listen to certain sections. But I also understand that some people don't need a two-hour lesson when they're looking for an answer that might take two minutes. So what I'll be doing in this one as well is I'll have a, a video that's uh, what you need to know, and it'll be like five minutes. Here's the approach. Here's how you do it. But the problem is that's not really teaching. I'm sharing knowledge. Uh, okay, here's how you do it. But what happens a lot for more than half the, you know, some students, maybe, I don't know, one fifth of students, cool, that's what I need, thanks. But I would say the other four fifths, like, okay, cool, I, I get the idea, but they actually can't do it. So there comes the two hour lesson. Here are the approaches. Let's go ahead and break it really down and kind of go from there. So I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I like that format of let me give the information you need to know in a concise way. And then now let's expand for two or three hours and go as deep as you want. Because a lot of students do need different approaches too. And I try to do that in the lessons. Here's one way to do it. Here's another way to do it. Here's another way to do it. How do I use, how do I do it? This is how I do it. So I like to just uh, share as much as I can and it's up to them on what piece of information they, they use. Uh, lastly, before we finish up, you mentioned uh, that the student can go back on your website, videos go back and forth. When we were speaking about Skype lessons, uh, you said that you record your lessons. And I just want to recommend or um, kind of bring it up to students. If you are out there taking lessons with a teacher in person or online, definitely record audio record or video record, whatever the teacher does, your lessons. If your teacher doesn't already do that. I managed the music tree in Morgan Hill, California for six years, and we had over 20 instructors on staff. Almost none of them recorded their lessons. When I took lessons with Gary Smith when I was 16, I brought my boom box, put it on the table, hit record, and I know that I would only get maybe 5% of what he had to teach if I didn't have that recording. Man, I wore out those tapes, and every now and again, oops, hit record and play at the same time and destroyed three seconds. After a lot of expletives, I figured out, okay, I need to put some tape on those little holes that are on the top that will uh, stop it from recording over the tape. I lived with those recordings over that month. I've always, since I started teaching when I was 18 years old, I'm 47 now, I've provided a recording for my students. And now it's digital. It moved from tape recorders to uh, CD, you know, digital audio recording or CD audio recording to uh, now I use this Tascam unit. And I tell my students, the first thing you do when you get off this lesson is to listen to the lesson again and make notes, find out what's important for you and what you need to practice. And they will go back to that recording as they need that. So I just want to emphasize something you brought up about recording. Obviously, for a lesson website, that material is there. But if you take lessons, either Skype or in-person lessons with an instructor, make sure you record it. You'll think you'll remember. You won't. I think that that's an amazing piece of advice. Um, I've, I've just, just a little anecdote from my point of view. Uh, I've been taking guitar lessons for the, the last couple of months. Um, and 
it's a half hour lesson a week. I record it and I, I usually listen to the first five minutes and that gives me enough to work on for three, four, five hours. And then I listen to the next five minutes and that's another three, four, five hours. So it's, uh, there's, as you said, there's a kind of wealth of knowledge um, and, and you, you end up being able to go really deep. Whereas if, if you just try and rely on your memory, then um, you can have a very kind of shallow understanding of what you were working on and uh, not, not get the most out of it. And it's kind of, a, it's a waste of your time as a student. And um, it means you're not really getting the most out of the teacher, uh, I, I feel. Um, but yeah, um, thank you so, so much for, uh, for coming and doing this, David. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. What I'm going to do, I'm going to put links to bluesharmonica.com and a couple of other things that you mentioned during the podcast in the show notes. So if anyone wants to check that stuff out, they should. And I highly, highly recommend um, signing up to bluesharmonica.com because um, it, it, it's fantastic. It's uh, kind of everything that you need to, to get great at Blues Harmonica. So uh, go, go and do it right now. Uh, <laughs> thank, thank you, Tom. It was a pleasure to work with you. And uh, uh, let's do this again. You know, I would I, be up into doing a regular thing every now and again and, and uh, maybe picking some subjects and uh, expanding on them. I, I was going to ask you about a round two, so I'm glad you brought it up first. That's brilliant. Well, enjoy the rest of your day <laughs> and uh, stay safe and keep those hands nice and clean. And uh, I'll see you soon. Thank you. Take care. Take Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tomlin's Harmonica Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review on your podcast player of choice. Join me next Monday for the next episode. Happy harping!